Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News and author of the book Breaking the News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thanks to all of you who have told 10,000 friends and family members about the new show, left a five-star review, and did everything you can to get the word out. We really appreciate it, and it does help us grow. I've always said the Democrats are always trying to take more ground, and the new New York City Mayor Eric Adams apparently is not an exception to this rule. He's trying to make it legal for one million illegal aliens to vote in local elections. And combining this with the Democrats' recent renewed push for H.R. 1 and the attack on our voting rights and our voting system only seems to be getting bigger. I break this all down in the opening of the show. The trans hysteria might have hit its peak this week as UPenn male-to-female trans swimmer Leah Thomas got beaten by a woman named Isaac. Yes, a woman named Isaac, a female-to-male trans swimmer who's also in the Ivy Leagues. Is this the wokest thing of all time? I don't know, but News Corporation is now in on the trans hysteria. Fox has credited male Jeopardy contestant Amy Schneider as being the winningest female of all time, despite the fact that he was born a dude. I give the latest coronavirus and coronavirus hysteria details in the opening as well, and I discuss how Whole Foods is standing up to Black Lives Matter. Pretty cool there. The great Adam Kinzinger has attacked talk radio for being filled with hate. Uh, Does he actually listen to talk radio, or is he just saying what the CNN audience wants him to say? Two guests today, Senator Joni Ernst is first. She's the Iowa senator who gives us a solid report from the heartland about what is on the hearts and minds of the Heartland voters, the top priorities that they have from defending election integrity to Biden inflation to animal experimentation and whether or not we should be shutting down these wild animal experimentation fundings uh, that could go to places like, I don't know, the Wuhan Institute in Virology. That uh, seems like a no-brainer to me. She's on the case. We talked to her all about that. And Congressman Byron Donalds from Florida, a fan favorite, who's on the show to talk about Democrats' efforts to wildly loosen our voting laws, how Joe Biden might be killing Floridians. Yes, he might be killing Floridians by withholding or at least being incompetent in his distribution at a minimum of uh, potentially life-saving coronavirus treatments. And we talk about how Republicans might be getting rolled or bought off in order to support a bailout for the establishment media and this thing called the JCPA, which is uh, front and center for us at Brightport News, talking about it a lot. So all that to come on the show today, plus much more. But before we dig into it, I do want to talk about AMAC, a terrific sponsor that I've supported for many years and now sponsors the podcast. They're a conservative advocacy and benefits organization with more than 2 million members and counting. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has become one of the most powerful conservative organizations in the country. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a magazine full of insightful takes on today's most important issues. But most importantly, AMAC's working tirelessly to preserve the freedom secured by our Constitution. With a full-time presence on Capitol Hill, AMAC is pushing back against the efforts to defund our police, weaken our borders, and replace your freedom with government controls. So stand with me and over 2 million patriots by joining right now at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Breitbart. The benefits are great, but the cause is greater. So join today at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. Let's 
get into the news. Hope everyone had a good weekend. Um, I guess we'll start with Bob Saget passed away at 65. He was best known for Full House, also did had a pretty big stand-up uh, career as well, where he had the exact opposite persona as Danny Tanner, his character in Full House, where he worked blue, I think is the expression. So definitely kind of X-rated stuff, but it shows a fair bit of versatility. Also did America's Funniest Home Videos, so had an, uh, he could uh, do, do the G-rated stuff and he could do the uh, not-so-G-rated stuff as well. Seemed like the type of guy who kind of lived hard and um, passed away at 65, but as of now, there is no details about his cause of death and people are suggesting no foul play or drug use at this time but i guess uh that's something it just made me think about how he's also he's a remnant as it seems like so many celebrities passing away these days i'm just wondering are we moving into an era where there are so few celebrities that made a big deep cultural impact for a long time because it just seems like with our culture it's so it is becoming so niche in a lot of ways so some of these sitcom stars who were welcomed into people's homes by the millions for many years. Uh, it is a dying breed, literally speaking. So uh, anyway, uh, sad news there. And just 65, it seems so young these days. Next up, totally unrelated note, but even more disturbing somehow. New York City Democrats are granting voting rights to nearly one million non-citizens. I've been saying on the show pretty much for the last couple of weeks, anyone who had high hopes for that Mayor Eric Adams is going to be some sort of anti-Bill de Blasio or uh, somewhere between mistaken and idiotic. We've got some audio of him talking about this, so why don't um, we roll that one? That one is what's known as Cut 3, go. You announced last night that you're going to support a law passed last month in New York City, which will allow roughly 800,000 legal non-citizens to vote in local elections, provided that they've lived in New York for at least 30 days. You previously called the bill problematic and expressed concern about giving a right to vote to non-citizens who have only been here for a short amount of time. I think there are a lot of Americans watching right now who might share your concerns and, and also have more broadly questions about the idea of people who have not taken a citizenship test, prepared for that test by learning about the U.S., who haven't sworn an oath to the country, getting to vote. Why did you change your mind and why is it acceptable for non-citizens to vote in an American election? Uh, first of all, it's a good question by Jake Tapper. And just know that if you know how Jake Tapper operates over at CNN, uh, Jake Tapper is a very committed leftist, but he does serve a role, a whole monitor-like role, where he does occasionally try to wheel in elements of the left. He's not a hysteric like most of the other people on CNN who just wants to ramp up the hysteria. Uh, he does identify where the left is going too far, and he does try to reel them back in. That is sort of what he's doing with his question. He's doing a good job of it. He's, it's really a soliloquy. It's almost not even a question. And he's, he's making a big point about how this is just going too far. It's the uh, Democrats, their rep right now is not good. It's a they're pulling badly. Their cities are in horrible shape. And the solution is having a bunch of people who are non-citizens voting. It's probably not the right move politically. That is between the lines of what he's saying. So uh, pretty good. Let's hear the uh, response. By mine, I supported the concept of the bill. The one aspect of that I had a problem with and I thought was problematic was the 30-day part of being in the country for 30 days was the place that I had questions. And I sat down with my colleagues. I'm a big believer in uh, conversation. We have to start talking to each other and not at each other. And after hearing their rationale and their theories behind it, uh, I thought it was more important to not veto the bill or get in the way at all and allow the bill to move forward. In New York City, just Brooklyn, for example, 47% of Brooklynites speak a language other than English at home when I was the borough president. And so I think it's imperative that people 
who are in a local municipality have the right to decide who's going to govern them. And I support okay. the overall like concept that? of that pause, bill. Pause. The so, so far, he said that a lot of people don't speak English in the home so that illegal aliens should have the right to vote. You guys think that that's some sound logic right there? We know why he wants legal aliens to vote, because he vote Democrat. And it is New York City's a trailblazer. And, and uh, if they start voting in our major cities, cities like New York, which have, are entirely run by Democrats, then it'll become more normalized throughout the rest of the country that they just vote in general. And the more illegal aliens vote, especially when we have an open border, then the more we're going to move closer to a, a permanent Democrat majority. So that is the goal, the name of the game, and the efforts to do this while Democrats have power but are losing popularity. Uh, we need to be on real guard for this. It, it, let me reiterate that. The Democrats have lots of power but are losing popularity. So they know if they keep going down this road, if they don't continue to keep their demographics up, they're going to have a problem because they're not succeeding in any part of their agenda un unless, you know, the, you think it's uh, destroying America as part of the agenda, which many people do. But in terms of the kitchen table issues, they're not, they don't have a coherent argument for virtually anything they've done from foreign to domestic policy to national security to the school systems. I mean, there's just nothing. There's no bright spots, crime. I will plug for the seven millionth time my interview with Victor Davis Hanson with long form, couple hours. It's available if you go to uh, the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. You can scroll back maybe six or eight shows or our front page, Breitbart.com. Just search for it and you can find the full video. A two-hour interview where we talk about the concept of the dying citizen. This is a, a number one primo. Uh, citizens typically are the only ones who are allowed to vote in a society, at least in American society. One of the key things about citizenship, which has always been valued in America and has been uh, valued in the rare society that uh, actually does uh, thrive and have some level of freedom for a long time. If you believe in the idea of self-governance, it does behoove you to encourage people to be citizens and to empower the citizen and not merely the resident. We're not a particularly special place if we're going to let people who are mere residents of the United States vote in our elections and prioritize them at the same level as citizens. So we get to that in a lot of detail, but this is just a, a, a pure attack on citizens. So there's your soundbite for today. Eric Adams is attacking citizens with this move to prioritize mere residents. The bill just make a mockery of the idea of American citizenship, though? I mean, this is just for local elections, but nice. does that mean like next uh, New York City is going to want non-citizens to vote in federal elections? I mean, it, and what do you say to all the people who went through the process, the difficult process of becoming an American citizen, studying for the test, swearing an oath of allegiance to the United States of America, who, who now see this legislation just saying, well, anyone who's here, you can go ahead and vote. Uh, well, I, I, tell to, I say to them, keep doing it. Uh, you know, membership has its privileges. Uh, being a member of what we call the United States of America is a great privilege. And I, I would tell them, keep a membership. doing it. Be encouraged. Uh, this is a great opportunity to be a member of this great country. Uh, don't let anything daunt you or take you away from that mission. Uh, this legislation is not going to do that. Keep becoming a citizen of this country. Not very impressive. Not very impressive. Scary stuff in New York. All right. Um, next one, again, uh, sort of a tough segue, but I just can't. I can't resist. A trans male swimmer beats UPenn trans female swimmer Leah Thomas. Uh, this was one of the stories of the young year, eight or nine days in. The transgender UPenn swimmer Leah Thomas, who we've mentioned on this show, who does not get written up in the establishment media for whatever reason, but has been a sensation in alternative media, tabloid media, conservative media, 
Uh, Leah Thomas lost a race and lost a race to a woman who is transitioning to a man. Yes, that is right. So Thomas is a man presenting himself as a woman. Paul Wall writes for Breitbart News, but his opponent, Isaac Hennig. So he lost to a girl guy named Isaac. That's a gender bender for you. Who is a woman transitioning to become a man. His loss occurred at UPenn's tri-meet with the Yale and Dartmouth swim teams where he, as in Leah Thomas, won both the 200-500 freestyle while scoring fifth in the 100-yard, according to the Daily Mail. Quote, stunned parents of the meet held at UPenn's pool in Philadelphia gasped as Yale swimmer Isaac Hennig easily beat out her opponents in women's 100-yard freestyle with a time of 49.57, noted the Daily Mail, and Thomas finished fifth. That's wild. Though Hennig had her breast removed, she reportedly delayed hormone treatments to compete in women's swimming. Quote, as a student athlete coming out as a trans guy put me in a weird position. I could start hormones to align more with myself. To align more with myself. Wow. That is a phrase. I could start hormones to align more with myself. Or wait, transition socially and keep competing on a women's swim team. I decided on the latter. I have some begrudging, a slight amount of begrudging respect for this move. So so no hormones. So she really is still a girl. She just removed her breasts, which is horrifying, but at least is not cheating with the drugs. Just crazy. Crazy times we're in. Ivy League seems like a good spot. How's that 60 grand a year going for all you Ivy League mommy and daddies out there? Oh my gosh. The next time Mrs. Dr. Marlowe and I disagree on anything... I'm going to announce to her that I need to align more with myself. Wow, that's special. Another exciting one. The uh, setback for the woke world. Whole Foods claims employees wearing BLM masks violates their First Amendment. So this is a first. And I'll I'll read to you some of the highlights we had at Breitbart News. And then I'll tell you why it's a first. Paul Bois wrote this one up for us again. The upscale grocery chain Whole Foods claims the National Labor Relations Board NLRB order to allow its employees to wear Black Lives Matter masks violates its constitutional rights. In October 2020, the Amazon-owned Whole Foods stoked controversy when it announced a new dress code policy that banned its employees from wearing busy patterns on clothing or face coverings, buttons or pins on employees' aprons, ripped jeans, athleisure, and T-shirts with visible logo slogans, messages, or flags of any kind. When a lot of us started working at Whole Foods, someone says, in the day, it was a place where you could wholly be yourself and express your personality while still working your job, according to an employee. Quote, we're worried that it's leaning toward a more super corporate, you're not just another cog in the machine kind of employee situation. So they're banning Black Lives Matter slogans on the mass. Uh, and I will say that Whole Foods gets a number of free plugs on the show. Uh, I'm a Whole Foods consumer. I think the business model is pretty genius. Um, I liken it to Beavis and Butthead. Uh, you know how Beavis and Butthead was making fun of the MTV generation, yet it was on MTV? So the clientele that Beavis and Butthead was making fun of was actually the people who were watching the show directly. So it's its own consumer base. And I thought that was truly brilliant by Mike Judge, the uh, Beavis and Butthead creator. So it was not a stupid show. I think it was a subversively brilliant show. And the premise was, was subversively brilliant. Whole Foods is the same way. It's basically an exploitation of all of these fake woke people who love their organic produce and their high-end 
uh, items and think that that's somehow doing really good for the world when it's really just, you know, tastes pretty good and is fresh and is capitalist. It's pure capitalism. So, and that's always been the business model of Whole Foods and I, I've embraced it, so I like it. But the other thing I like about the Whole Foods is the Whole Foods in my heavily masked neighborhood uh, never asked me to put on my mask and I never wear it. And that's good. So that's a, that's a plug. And uh, hopefully people don't hunt down my Whole Foods and um, find them for something. But I never get asked. And there's a, I, I go in frequently and the dozens of employees see me all the time and uh, no one's ever asked. But no BLM masks, I dig it. It's just all dress code. I mean, it's fundamental. It's a, but I have not seen this before where there's a certain type of mask that's banned. Um, we've seen lots of examples of where not wearing a mask is banned, but we've not seen an example that I've seen a big public statement that this type of mask is banned. Now, it, it's a you should not be able to have slogans on like Black Lives Matter um, if you're in a corporation on, on your body at work. It just makes perfect sense. And if they had banned a White Lives Matter or the Blue Lives Matter flag, I would understand that too. I get it. But particularly Black Lives Matter because they're a Marxist group. Um, but this will be seen as an outrage. And I'm, let's see if they hold the line. That's what I'm more curious about. Will they hold the line? All right, going back to Friday, but I do want to bring it up that the Supreme Court justices went absolutely crazy over coronavirus. Justice Breyer suggesting that vaccines and masks would prevent 100% of coronavirus infections. Uh, this is the level of misinformation that is killing Americans because the masks don't seem to be preventing the coronavirus at all, at least not a calculable amount. And the vaccines don't seem to be preventing it at all. Or if they are, it's incalculable. And I say this for the source fund of freaks or someone who likes the vaccines. But what the vaccines are doing is they're lessening severe COVID. They're lessening the uh, severe hospitalizations and death to a degree. And probably a significant degree if you look at the data. But it is not blocking the transmission, it seems to be at all. So why would someone who's presumably not an idiot know this? Uh, maybe they prevent some of the cases. I don't know. But like, we don't really know. We do know that the main that's not their main selling point. So when this came up during the Supreme Court hearings, whether or not they're going to hear ma uh, mandate cases. Justice Sotomayor is a true coronavirus freak. She's the type of person who wears those uh, face shields, which do nothing, as if the virus can't just go around your shield, which are truly purely virtue signals. She, wear those, she wears those with her double masks. Um, she claimed that Omicron is just as deadly for the unvaccinated as Delta, which is not true. Omicron is not nearly as deadly, from what we can tell, for vaccinated or unvaccinated. I, I just don't know why we lie to people at this level, but she just flat out lie. And then she was spotted um, a day later or so going out to eat, even though she did this hearing via Zoom. So she can't go into work because coronavirus, and then she goes out to eat, and there are a bunch of other you know, Washington left-wingers there. She says, we have over 100,000 children which have never been had before in serious condition and many on ventilators. That's not true. Uh, according to the data I was able to check out online, it seems like maybe there's about 3,500 children who are hospitalized at this time um, with coronavirus, which is not an insignificant number, which is like why 3,500 is a big deal. So why does she have to say 100,000 and then we all know she's a liar and then we don't trust anything she says? 3,500 children on ventilators would be, is, is, I know, I'm sorry, 100,000 children on ventilators. It's just, it's just an insane number. And obviously it's not a true number. So just flat out lies, fear mongering. Still can't trust the, the people on the virus. And I'm starting to wonder if some of this maybe isn't lies. Maybe some of it is people are starting to believe this insanity because they live in such a bubble. Um, John Nolte wrote up a story for us over the weekend at Breitbart.com that a Texas teacher, someone named Sarah Beam, has been charged with locking her son in the trunk of a car to protect herself from catching the coronavirus. 
woman faces charges for child endangerment after she arrived at a COVID-19 testing site for a 13-year-old boy in the back of a vehicle and put her 13-year-old boy in the back of a vehicle according to an arrest warrant. The alleged lunatic, Nolte writes, is a high school English teacher. According to authorities, she drove into a drive through COVID testing station in Houston on Monday and told the people her son was locked in the trunk in order to protect herself from getting infected because he had previously tested positive for the China flu. According to the warrant, the staffer asked to see the boy, and sure enough, mom of the year opened the trunk and the poor kid was lying inside. The staffer reportedly told her the kid is in the back seat and then called 911. As a result, the mother has been placed on administrative leave at her school and arrest warrant for her child endangerment has been issued, and she is not yet in custody. This, these are people educating your kids, the type of people who think it is safer to put your kid in the trunk than to just you know open some windows when you get them tested for coronavirus. I, I Hard to imagine as a parent that that would be the level of fear of the coronavirus, that you would put your child in the trunk of a car because they had a positive test. You can't put on your mask and uh, I thought the mask worked. Isn't she vaccinated? Did her, do her windows not roll down? See, in my car, I've got those up-down windows. They go up and they go down. It's a state-of-the-art Oh, my goodness. I mean, should I find it funny? It's horrifying, but I do find it a little funny. Biden's pushing the vaccines for children, even though only 0.02% or less of child coronavirus cases are fatal, and we know they're not great vectors of the virus. I just don't, I don't see it yet. I don't know why we're here. Why are we here? It just doesn't, if we know, if we get a lot more data in that suggests that there is a variant where the kids are passing it, uh, frequently, and they're getting sicker and sicker. I'm not saying that maybe the latest variant kids are getting a little sicker, but it's the, uh, do we have to do this? Because we know it's going down the mandate road, and then it's going to go down. You can't get government privileges. You can't go to school. So these things have to be resisted, especially with the kids. I see no compelling reason the kids need this shot. And if the kids, and if we do see a compelling reason, which I will bring to your attention on the show if we do, then I'm still concerned that this is going to be much more about control than it is about health. They would love it to enforce this on the kids, start taking away privileges from the kids, to continue to create this culture of fear and oppression that we've embraced for so long. Blue states are leading in daily average of coronavirus cases per capita. We wrote this up at Breitbart.com. So it makes sense. I got the biggest cities, which have always been kind of bigger incubators for the virus. People living on top of each other and group living, which uh, the city dwellers love so much. And I did that for a time, for a long time. Um, more fun to have a little bit of land, I must say. And a little safer from coronavirus. But the people who tend to live on top of each other uh, in a, are, are passing the cases to each other. But just why are we trusting anyone in these places when they get, uh, they're the most hysterical, they have the most lockdowns, they have the most mandates, and it's not working. Science seems to be pretty clear on the side the mandates are not not doing anything. And not, if not, they're setting people back um, with the virus. And certainly psychologically, even California is admitting now in a study that lockdown students are suffering academically. So we know they're suffering mentally, got to be suffering physically. And now we know they're suffering academically, which is obvious. But they don't really care if we suffer academically. We don't really teach, do are we even teaching kids 
now uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, or we just teach them uh, uh, CRT and BLM. Um, one semi-positive note, and this is pretty interesting development, uh, Novak Djokovic, who's the number one tennis player in the world, who flew to Australia and it was promised he'd get a waiver, to, even though he's unvaccinated, to enter Australia to play in the Australian Open tennis tournament. He's the defending champion. He's won nine times there. It's one of the Grand Slam events, I think. I'm not a tennis aficionado. But he showed up and they said, sorry, we're actually not going to give you a pass and you're going to have to go to this gulag. And the gulag has literally maggot infested bugs in his room. Seems pretty horrible. And as we noted at Bright Park, comically, no tennis court. Which I thought was a was pretty funny. So now he's gotten a waiver so that the government now says that he can hang out because he's got uh, antibodies, I guess. I guess he had the virus. So uh, he's free to play as of now. So he will will get to play, and I'm sure there'll be huge protests in both directions. I'm sure that the left will be very unhappy. He's given this exception, and I'm sure those who hate the lockdowns will continue to protest, as they are throughout the world. The world is seeing these protests that are popping up on a pretty big, big basis. But what we do know with the virus right now is hospitalizations are up. Um, deaths are dropping pretty quick. We're now down to a few hundred a day, but they're still pretty high. Cases are up a ton. So cases are significantly higher than they were than this time last year. But the variant plus the vaccines um, is definitely making so the death toll is lower. So just if you're curious, that is. But my, my sources are telling me, you know, hospitalizations are higher, but it's not as severe. So not to say you should have a chicken pox party with Omicron, but that does seem like that's what's going on. So you are seeing more and more people talk about whether or not it is time to live with the virus. Are you fed up enough? And if so, what do you do? Okay, a couple other things to note. Californians are leaving for Texas so rapidly, U-Haul has ran out of trucks. This was a joke I've had with a friend who moved to California. And I said that, are you the one person driving the other direction with the U-Haul? And it's now it's real. So U-Haul running out of trucks because everyone's leaving California. It's interesting is that Californians will have no problem with this. They have no problem with it because... They never at any point during their day do they talk about whether or not it's a bad thing that people are dying to leave their their state. One percent a year picking up their roots and taking off white coats for black lives are calling the shots in America's medical schools. Now, according to a poor Brecken thieves wrote up for us, brightbart.com WC4BL white coats for black lives, a radical socialist organization of doctors and medical students is succeeding in its mission to racialize the practice of medicine, believing that the dominant medical practice in the United States has been built on the dehumanization of exploiting of black people. This is pretty extreme, but I did track this with Mrs. Dr. Marlowe, who's been out of med school now for four years or so. But there was an encroaching wokeness that was starting to rear its head. And you could see some of the lack of you know doctors speaking out against some of the horrible stuff that have gone on in the country. Um, over the during the coronavirus, I don't think has been a good look for them. But you could see it's because there is this encroaching socialism and cultural Marxism in certain areas of the medical world, and this would be really devastating because we've had world-beating healthcare for uh, you know even though it's getting more socialist and it is certainly flawed in a lot of ways, but it's certainly the best in the world as far as we know. And if they start focusing on the CRT wokeness, that's going to get ruined too. And you could already see little bits and pieces of it from my perspective as a medical school spouse. Not to say it was too bad, but you could just see little, little things that would pop up. 
And now if they start the organization which believes that whiteness is an invented political tool created through violence in the service of establishing domination, whiteness has been historically used as a violent means for stealing lives. And racism, capitalism, and white supremacy are interdependent systems which led to the particular dehumanization, exploitation, and murder of black people. It starts with Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren came out and was saying that, um, you know, there's systemic racism in the medical field. We talked about this on the show years ago. She's a believer that the medicine is systemically racist, that doctors and nurses, they spend their time giving worse care to black and brown people because institutional. We are reintroducing racism into our society because it benefits the political left. Just note that that's the pattern. America was so desperate to get over our racism, and we are now in a position where the left wants to bring it back. They want to bring it back because it is wildly inconvenient for them politically when there is no racism. Because when you remove that component, then all and people start actually voting as individuals, they tend to vote more for conservatives. Adam Kinzinger, the rhino Republican from Illinois, said that profit-driven radio is turning the GOP base angry and fearful. Since when are Republicans against uh, profit? It's interesting. Uh, But he's upset that there's profit-driven radio that has turned the Republican base into angry and fearful. And And they've victimized groups of people. Oh, no, we're the victimized groups of people, I guess. And the Trump base feeds off of each other. He's talking about me, and he's talking about this station. He's talking about all of your favorite hosts. Who are the ones who are creating the hatred? The white coats for black lives, doctors who believe that whiteness has been historically used as a violent means for stealing lives. Racism, capitalism, and white supremacy are independent systems which led to the particular dehumanization, exploitation, and murder of black people. Oh, who's inflicting more hatred? That group or... The profit-driven radio group who thinks American values and the Constitution are, are great and we should try to preserve them. And we should all read a little more Bible and spend a little less time on Instagram. What is really the, the group that is, uh, that is doing the hating? All classic projection. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed that everything is getting expensive. We're in the biggest economic crisis since 2008, and the government's printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices are the highest we've seen in 30 years. Inflation is certainly here to stay. And if the government continues its out-of-control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. So, how do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market into a precious metals IRA. And they make it easy. They're the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, and they have thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they'll give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 866-670-7660. That's 866-670-7660. Or text Alex to 65532. That's 866-670-7660. Or text Alex to 65532 for American Hartford Gold.
Yeah, highest recommendation all of you check out our sponsors. It is a big help and they're good products. I'm not uh, approving any sponsors to the show that I don't think uh, provide a meaningful product. AMAC, American Heart for Gold, are certainly in that group and a high recommendation you check them out. All right, first guest today is Senator Joni Ernst from Iowa, who is very good about communicating with Breitbart on a regular basis and what she's working on. And she does seem to try to find creative ways to distinguish herself from otherwise pretty good Republican senators coming up with creative approaches to what she can do with her power. And we get into a lot of the news of the day from immigration, which continues to be a major factor in so many lives of uh, people in our heartland because of these night flights, or as the White House calls it, early morning flights. We break all that down, plus her efforts to stop experimentation on animals, et cetera. All that's coming up uh, right now. Senator, great to have you on the broadcast. Happy New Year to you. It's been too long. we got a lot to get to. Oh, yeah, right back at you, Alex. Happy New Year, and hope your uh, Christmas was wonderful. It was. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I want to begin with talking about some of the efforts the Democrats are putting forward right now to basically end uh, our concept of voting rights as we know it. And there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of tricks they're using to try to use this. Sometimes they're not that tricky. Uh, we opened the show today talking about New York, uh, which is now uh, allowing uh, 1 million non-citizens, i.e. illegal aliens in most cases, uh, to vote in local races. Uh, we know the Democrats would like that for at a federal level as well. Uh, and they've got various pieces of legislation that they're only, you know, a vote or two away in some cases of maybe able being able to get through, or, or are they? Uh, what is in some of these some of these pieces of legislation that we should be aware of, and how robust are the efforts to get them through? Well, uh, the the efforts are pretty robust, and you'll see that this week coming up in the United States Senate, where uh, Democratic leader Schumer is bringing forward these bills under the guise of voting rights. But what we need the American people to understand is this is not about voting rights. This is a transparent play to the rest of us that uh, they are are trying to gather permanent political power. Um, So I'm a former county auditor in Iowa. And as a county auditor, I helped run elections here in Iowa. We have to have confidence in our election system. Iowa does have one of the best. You know, we have voter ID laws. And in fact, even with voter ID laws, we have had participation grow every single election. So uh, what we want to do is make it easier to vote, but harder to cheat. And these Washington Democrats basically want to take over our elections. So things that we should be aware of in those bills The Democrats' proposed bill would eliminate popular voter ID requirements at the polls. This is something all all, uh, parties agree with on, you know, a broad level of support, voter ID. It would also put those Washington, D.C. bureaucrats in charge of America's local and state-run election systems. And we know how efficient and fair our federal government is. So, so, we don't why, want to see that at the so, local Senator, level. and I'm going to cut you off, but I just why would we ever want that? We don't. And that's the thing, is that Americans, once they understand what this bill is actually about, again, not about voting rights, but about federalizing 
our local and state elections, which under the Constitution, this is a right that's reserved for the states. So, you know, we see it as unconstitutional as well. But something else that's hidden within this bill, I mean, it basically is creating a federal jobs program for political consultants and pollsters. Um, There are ways that candidates can actually pay themselves with taxpayer dollars um, through these bills. It is absolutely crazy, Alex. So uh, is there anyone who you think could straggle on this on the right that you're concerned about? And if the answer, regardless of the answer, maybe more interesting is uh, in order to get it through, it might take a blowing up of the filibuster. And where do we stand there? Yes, and I do believe that um, Republicans will stand firm on this. Um, Again, it's not about voting rights. It is about federalizing uh, the system and allowing Democrats to to gain control over one of the most basic elements of our government. Um, But uh, with that, as you mentioned, comes the threat of eliminating the filibuster. Um, They certainly want to do that and use their bill as an excuse to do that. Democrats want to blow up the Senate simply so they can ram through their reckless agenda. Um, And just think back a number of years ago, it was then um, Senator Biden, as well as Senator Schumer, that were passionate defenders of the Senate filibuster. So they've really done a filibuster flip-flop here. So what they can do Should they change the filibuster rule? They could ram through the Green New Deal, amnesty for illegal immigrants. They could pack the Supreme Court, get rid of the Electoral College. Um, They could grant D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood. And, you know, again, the guys would be the election system. They would take that over. Um, So, again, it's a power grab. And Democrats are seeking to silence the voices of not just my great Iowans here, but of millions and millions of Americans. Senator, I want to ask you about the efforts that were made last week to link the January 6th riot, which I, I don't I, I still don't know of anyone who is proud of what happened January the 6th. Seems like various no, degrees of outrage of from 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 mild to full blown meltdown. It just seems like that everyone no one likes what happened, uh, but it is now being tied to uh, some of these voting allegedly voting rights bills, which are really, uh, in my opinion, about making it easier to cheat. Um, but how are they doing that? It seems pretty far-fetched, but this seems to be the talking points that have been passed down from on high in the Democrat establishment is to link January the 6th to voting. Uh, do you see the connection? What's uh, going on here? No, I sure don't, Alex. And and again, you know, with everything else that is going on in this nation with skyrocketing inflation, um, you know, of course, it's the highest inflation in nearly four decades with the horrible withdrawal from Afghanistan, with throwing our allies and partners under the bus. Everything that this president has done is so bad. They need a distractor to not talk about the issues that my Iowans and every Americans are facing every day with higher cost of groceries and gas and their heating bills, you know, here in the midst of winter. So anything they can do to detract from that horrible record, they are going to do. I don't see a link between January 6th and the so-called 
voting rights bill. It's just not there. They're using any excuse they can to try and ram through a really, really horrible agenda that is not promising for America. Uh, it, it certainly isn't. And luckily, it feels like the, the Republicans are holding the line, but it's always just so nerve wracking when you know that I'm just changing some of the filibuster rules or just a vote or two. And then all of a sudden, uh, certain things are in play. Is there anything that you are concerned about that you really do think is on the edge and particularly people who are inclined to call their congressmen or senators? Uh, well, what do you where is your deepest fears right now? Well, deepest fears right now, of course, um, I, as a, as a veteran, feel very strongly about our national security. Um, along with that comes uh, the economy right now. You know, it is really hard for my neighbors and my friends here in Iowa to, you know, wake up every day, go to a job and know that some of them will be struggling uh, to pay for that next meal. They're struggling because uh, it is the midst of winter and heating bills have just skyrocketed. You know, these are the things that we need to address and make sure that we're uh, getting people back to work and that our economy is robust. All of these things are extremely important, and yet they're being ignored by the left. They think they can spend their way out of this disaster. And that's partly what got us here in the first place. So they still are attempting to ram through the reckless tax and spend bill, which is that five, uh, excuse me, trillion dollar disaster uh, that they like to call the Build Back Better plan. Um, so they're still trying to find ways to move that. Um, again, we have let our allies down in so many ways. And we don't see a rebuilding of that, especially as Russia is on the verge of invading Ukraine and China is eyeballing Taiwan. Um, and we don't have any answers to any of these very real pressing issues coming from the White House or this administration. They are uh, radio silent on all of these issues. And Americans are taking notice. Yeah, that is uh, certainly a uh, something that's clear. It just seems like there's so few, there's so little accountability, Senator. And this is one thing that we've been watching as the generals have gotten, the general class has just gotten more woker and more part of this Washington establishment, more swampy. And we did witness this under President Trump. It just escalated so much under President Biden. It just seems like there's this huge disconnect. Uh, when I talk to armed services personnel and from what I see, uh, projected through the media via this general's class. Uh, have you noticed this trend? And, and it can't be good for the morale of our troops. Well, and a lot of this is, is politically motivated from the left and uh, the pressures that are put upon our military. And this has been identified by um, so many of us. I know this is an issue that Senator Tom Cotton has really been focused on sure. as well in our military. You know, he wore the uniform as well. And those of us who wore the uniform, you know, we see our brothers and sisters in arms as all the same. We're all soldiers. We're all airmen, Marines, um, you, you name it. And what the left is trying to do is divide not only our nation into all these different categories, but also divide the very men and women that defend our values and freedoms. And that is extremely unfair, that pressure that's put on everyday Joe that's waking up every morning and doing what is right for his nation. 
And it's a really unfortunate situation to be in. And we really do have to have strength in our leaders, our military leaders, to push back on that. You know, we have the greatest military in the globe. And we need to be able to focus on the things that bring us together, not divide us. Senator Joni Ernst is with me, Republican from Iowa, at Joni Ernst on Twitter, if you're so inclined. Uh, a few other ones I want to get to with you today. Uh, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, said that there will be massive consequences if Russia invades Ukraine. Uh, first of all, do you believe in that there will be massive, massive consequences? And second of all, do you think the public has the appetite for some sort of conflict with Russia right now? It, it just seems like, uh, of all the places, this could be the one where the Democrats really do want to pick a fight with with people i don't know why they would really focus on russia not say we've ever been russia fans of breitbart senator i just don't know why Mm -hmm. the the democrats seem to be so obsessed it seems like they almost want us to go to war with russia but what's going on here do you trust him any reaction to this well i am very worried about putin and agreements that we have with Ukraine to defend them. Um, sure. You know, we, we do need to make sure that they are able to def- defend themselves. That is always the first step, is to make sure that we're providing them every opportunity to push back against Russia. I think that there are many ways we can do that, many tools um, that we can use to do that. Um, so I hope that Vladimir Putin does not um, you know, pick this fight. This is not a good one. And I don't think it's one he would win internationally. Um, but uh, I don't know uh, what I would trust coming out of this administration after the debacle in Afghanistan. Um, I don't know. Do we have a president that could actually choose the right course of action for us? I am very concerned about that. So, yeah, there needs to be stiff consequences to Russia. I don't know that the American people has the appetite to engage physically in a war with Russia. And again, that's not ever something that I would promote first and foremost. But I do believe that we need to enable Ukraine uh, to the best of our ability. And this administration has really been slow to respond um, to some of those requests. So we'll keep working this issue. I hope it doesn't come to pass. I, I hope that Putin just stays put uh, and and does not become an aggressor in Ukraine. But uh, unfortunately, you know, we're we're faced with that situation. And do I trust this White House or Tony Blinken? You know, not you with think the track th- record so far. Sure. And you think this White House is projecting strength to the world? Because I'm a very much of the mind that Reagan was correct when he advocated for peace through strength. Uh, it just does not seem like this is part of the, this administration just seems very frail and not particularly competent. And I know that's sort of an opinion, less of a question, but uh, it is striking when you see Putin on the move like this. Well, I share that opinion. And I think after the the demonstration of our withdrawal out of Afghanistan and what it did to our allies, I think that projected weakness around the globe. And I think that signaled to uh, Xi Jinping in China and to Putin in Russia that, hey, if you're going to make a move, now's the time to do it because we have a leader here in the United States that doesn't have the wherewithal to protect our own people 
and make sure that they are safely evacuated. We don't have the wherewithal to work with allies on withdrawal strategies. I think that that signaled that uh, it's a free-for-all now. And America is not going to stand up and do what is right. Um, so I think that we, you know, I share your opinion, Alex. I'll, I'll say that. And I've said that publicly many times over that I don't believe we have a strong leader. You know, you stated that President Reagan, you know, one of his very famous lines was peace through strength. And I believe that adamantly. I think that America has to project strongly as a deterrent. Uh, to people like Putin and Xi Jinping. And unfortunately, right now, we don't have a leader that is projecting strength. He is, uh, you know, requested that phone call with uh, Xi Jinping and basically was cowering on the phone um, when he's the one that requested it. He's had a conversation with Putin um, where very little came out of that. Um, so it, we're in an unfortunate situation, but the American people just needs to know and understand, you know, we, we are strong. Um, we do have capable leaders out there. They're just not the ones in the White House currently. Uh, I was the quintessential part of the Heartland or a quintessential part of it. And I'm curious what the Heartland voters are focused on right now, uh, because it seems like inflation, gas prices would probably be towards the top of the list. Um, are, are, is this something that I'm correct about? And do you get the impression the White House understands that Americans are feeling a lot poorer these days? Yeah, and you're spot on. Um, so, you know, right here in Red Oak, Iowa, you know, surrounded by na my neighbors, um, certainly, they are concerned about the gas prices. They are concerned um, about ag commodities and what's going on across the spectrum there. Uh, they are concerned about the heating bills right now um, because those prices have gone up significantly. But, you know, broader, they're also worried about what's going on on our southern border. Um, we have also seen flights into Iowa in the middle of the night or, excuse me, as Jen Saki will say, you know, early morning flights. Um, right, so people yeah. <laughs> wonder what is going on, you know, with the administration. Uh, why are they not being transparent about what's going on? It seems rather shady. And they get concerned about that because they d we don't even know what's going on in our own neighborhoods now. Um, and with that, of course, um, methamphetamine is a big problem in Iowa. Probably 99% of that, according to our counter drug folks, is coming out of Mexico. And how do you think it's coming here? It's coming straight over the border. And we have an administration that won't do a darn thing about it. Um, these are things that are hitting our neighborhoods and affecting our families and the Biden administration. All those folks, they are trapped in that D.C. bubble. They have no idea what's going on with our American families and the hardships they are facing. One of the refrains you've had on the show recently is we could conceivably do three hours of border and immigration coverage every day. And yet we do very little of it because there is so little opportunity, we think, to get through uh, to Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden, uh, who are just mm -hmm. committed to an open borders policy. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything, could you give us a, sort of a 30,000 foot on where we are on this issue right now? And is there any positive news at all that we're hearing? We are exactly where we were yesterday and the day before and the day before. It goes yeah. back to when Joe Biden took office. Um, that border opened up and he put out a big old welcome mat. 
And I've even had efforts in Congress. I've uh, introduced a bill called the Be Gone Act, which would block and deport dangerous criminals, dangerous sexual predators um, that are taking advantage of this open border. Um, And you know what? You know how much support I've gotten for that? I've gotten one Democrat on board, one Democrat. That's it. Um, They just won't even speak out about convicted, convicted predators that are coming across our border. They won't even speak out about it. Something so simple. Um, So unfortunately, we are getting nowhere. And this is where we need folks to really step up and put the pressure on your elected representatives who believe in an open border policy and what it's doing um, to our economy, what it's doing to our drug warfare. Uh, we're in a bad situation right now. This is, this is unsustainable, and folks need to know and understand that. Um, so it's affecting, you know, we think of this as a border crisis, but it affects folks, not just those that are living on the border, but families all across our country. Uh, what is going on with these night flights, though, that are in the middle of the night and we're dropping illegal aliens throughout the country? It, it's, it seems something that you almost cannot, even as someone who's as cynical about some of these news cycles as I can be sometimes, Senator, it just seems impossible that we would do this to our people. Yeah, it does seem impossible, but it is happening. And when we had a night flight that came in a few months back, you know, the governor tried to get answers, Senator Grassley and I tried to get answers. And all we could find out was that, yes, it was a flight that was um, scheduled by the Office of Refugee Resettlement. We don't know who was on that flight. We don't know where they were taken. That's as far as we could get. Uh, Two more questions for today. Senator Joni Ernst, Republican from Iowa. Uh, You wrote the other day that you're working to increase oversight of risky research with potentially dangerous pathogens pathogens when it comes to animal experiments. Uh, This sounds like a no-brainer to me. Um, What's going on here? Why are you think this is a concern? What are you doing? Who's working with you on it? Give us the, the key details. Yeah, there are so many of us that have been working on uh, a number of these bills, and that's one of many, many bills. And, of course, it stems back to um, what happened, we believe, coming out of the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And so uh, Roger Marshall has been a great champion with me on on this and a number of other uh, Wuhan-type bills. Many of our Republicans, of course, are on board. We get very little support coming from the Democrats. Um, We have not seen a level of effort um, like we have amongst the Republicans in actually wanting to find out what happened. And going to, you know, the the base of this bill, it's denying um, the taxpayer dollars that would go to institutes like the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where they are working on very dangerous pathogens, dangerous viruses. And, of course, we have seen with COVID-19 what that has done, not just to the United States, but our entire world. Um, So we should not be spending taxpayer dollars looking at that type of research in areas like communist China. Um, We should not trust them with our taxpayer dollars. And why we had dollars going there in the first place, I have no idea. 
and we just simply can't get to the bottom of it. But we have many other efforts as well, um, going back to Fauci coming in front of Congress and misleading Congress. I do have a bill that would um, allow the dismissal of people that come in front of Congress and mislead Congress. Um, again, no brainer. Uh, but anything that seems to be a no brainer to the American people, boy, it sure gets a lot of folks in Congress confused. Uh, last one for today, Senator, is there's a lot of talk always about what to do about big tech, which keeps getting more powerful uh, by the minute. And it's been a challenge for a lot of Republicans who don't typically like um, regulation. And for me, I don't like regulation, but I like free speech more than I dislike regulation. I think it's probably time to start uh, regulating some of these big uh, tech companies. Some people, I think, agree, but maybe have a different approach than maybe what we would have at, at Breitbart. There's this piece of legislation floating around called the JCPA, the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. I, I'm not sure. I can't speak to the intentions of it. I don't know how pure they are or, or not, but I can say that what it looks like from my vantage point is this means that a lot of the biggest news conglomerates in the world uh, are going to be able to collectively bargain to get money from the big tech companies. This sounds like a total disaster to independent media to me. Yeah, there's a lot of Republicans behind it. Um, are, are you up on this bill? Have you given it any thought? Uh, do you have any uh, position on it? No, I, I have not read the bill, so I can't uh, give you, you know, an overview of that particular bill. But I would agree, Alex, this has been a really difficult thing for us to do in Congress because I do believe in free speech. Um, but we also know that a lot of these large tech companies, they are private companies. And so they can, you know, right now as it stands, and we've seen this so many times over, is they can decide who's on their platform and who's not sure. on their platform. Yeah. And I hate that. Um, I think that we should be able to educate ourselves and maybe no one understand that everything we see on Twitter, everything that we see on Facebook may not be the full truth. Um, it, some things may be a little misleading. That's pretty much true anywhere. Um, so please allow the American people the right to discern, you know, what is accurate and correct, allow them to do their own research on issues. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm torn on this one because I, I think we should have a voice and our people should have a voice. But I also understand that these are private companies. And, boy, we've really been roped into the social media platforms, you know, with very little competition out there. And we tend to use them large in part for our news sources. So it doesn't sound like on face value that I would agree with the bill that's proposed. Um, but uh, I just don't know that we've found the right sure, yeah. way forward yet. And, and I think that's the big issue. Maybe we'll talk about this more down the road. You've already been uh, very generous with your time. But it's a, I think we all know something needs to be done and how to do it yeah. is obviously the uh, much yeah. tougher question. Um, so yeah. Senator Joni Ernst, Republican from Iowa, really a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Happy New Year, Alex. All right, Congressman Byron Donalds joins us, an up-and-coming star from Florida in the Republican Party, a firebrand, but also someone who is pretty sharp. His answers are more pointed than your typical congressman guest, which I like very much, and a pretty fearless guy as well. So uh, someone who I think is always a cool interview, even in the rare cases we disagree. Let's hear from Congressman Byron Donalds. Congressman, great to have you back on the show. Hey, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me. 
My pleasure. Uh, uh, let's start with the uh, latest on the coronavirus, and uh, I want to talk about Florida in particular. Uh, as usual, you guys are doing better than some of the bluer states, even though you guys have had uh, no masks for a year uh, for the most part, and anti-mandate, and not anti-vax, but anti-mandate. In uh, But your governor, Ron DeSantis, is uh, pointing out that the Biden administration is slow-walking treatments, which is, uh, I mean, it seems criminal to me. I, I, what's going on? <clears throat> Well, first, thanks for having me on. I, I'll tell you, it's insane. It's politics. It makes no sense. You know, so, of course, this is what Joe Biden's doing. Look, what happened was uh, Ron DeSantis found Regeneron treatments. They were, our state was looking for any possible way to help treat our citizens. Obviously, we have the oldest population in the country. So we're looking for anything. He finds Regeneron. This stuff was sitting in stockpiles um, at uh, CDC. So the CDC... HHS had this stuff. He pulls it off the shelf, requests it from them. The governor starts opening up sites in our state. We opened up 22. They were so popular and they worked so well. Every one of our hospitals was using them for people who were coming in, uh, testing positive for COVID, who started showing symptoms. The hospitals were giving it to them. The, uh, the sites that we set up were so successful that that's what caught Joe Biden's attention. And then the White House said, and this was back in September, they were like, oh, wait a minute, this is actually working? Well, it's not fair that Florida and the other southern states are just getting it. Um, we need to hold it back so it's more equitable across the country. So they started limiting our supplies back in September. And so now when the northern states are wanting monoclonal antibodies, they aren't there because Joe Biden didn't, one, know anything about the science or care about the science to start preparing and collecting and having monoclonal antibodies manufactured. Number two, when he held back Florida stockpile, it's not clear to me <clears throat> that the decision was made to make sure that there was going to be plenty for the American people in the wintertime. So that's why Florida hasn't been able to get what we need. But frankly, no state, red or blue, has been able to get what they need. And that's because of poor leadership out of the White House. Uh, one thing that is truly interesting, and I was just uh, comparing with another story uh, earlier in the hour between the way the media would have treated a similar story uh, if it was Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. And this is just one of those examples where every doctor I've spoken to and I've spoken to many about them thinks these monoclonal antibodies are, are miraculous lifesavers. And if Joe Biden is preventing people from getting them. Uh, if it was Donald Trump, we'd be calling we'd be calling him a murderer. I'm not saying that that's what we should do, Congressman. I'm not saying that's effective, but it is just is noteworthy that the media doesn't even want to cover this stuff. And this is something that if it was Trump, it would be this is mass murder. Um, you're absolutely correct. I mean, you can go as far to say as Joe Biden is is discriminating against red states. He's discriminating against black people who live in red states because guess what? If you live in Florida and you're black and you can't get a monoclonal antibody. That's not the fault of Ron DeSantis. That's the fault of Joe yes. Biden. And I right. mean, this is how reckless the, the left is <clears throat> with their rhetoric. They're reckless like that, and they don't care because they're trying to accomplish their agenda. But the reality is for our people is we have a current president who doesn't know what he's doing. He's obviously in over his head because everything has gone wrong. And he would rather play petty politics that help Ron DeSantis be successful with the people in uh, Florida or even help Kathy Hochul be successful with the people in New York. I mean, that's sure. just what's wrong right now in America. 
Um, Congressman, none of us really like what happened on January the 6th of last year. It, it was, I think, a, a big setback for the kind of America First movement that I, I am a part of. And I think it was really ill-advised across the board. And I'm glad that some people are held accountable, et cetera. All that is needless to say. But the Democrats are somehow trying to tie this to voting rights. I, I don't get it. Do you understand how they're doing this? Do you think they will be effective? And what does the riot of January 6th have to do with voting rights? Uh, it has nothing to do with the, the, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which really is a precursor to federalizing elections. That's what they want to try to do. It has nothing to do with H.R. 1. It has nothing to do with the actual Voting Rights Act of 65, which, by the way, Republicans overwhelmingly is the reason why that, that law, that's even law of the Voting Rights Act or the Civil Rights Act, for that matter. Interesting. Any one of the five iterations of the Civil Rights Act. Slight, slight note. I find it interesting that you had commentators on like whether it was NBC or CNBC or MSNBC or CNN, I can't remember which one, who basically was like, yeah, if you allow more January 6s and allow the Republicans to be in control, then they'll get rid of things like the Voting Rights Act altogether. But it was Republicans who got the Voting Rights Act passed. I digress. On a larger scale, the real issue we have is that they're using January 6th like they use everything else to accomplish their agenda. It's not going to be successful. There's no reason to federalize elections in the United States. Uh, there, was, there was no insurrection. There wasn't a coordination to start a riot. Um, that's very clear from some of the initial findings of the FBI already that have been released. So I, I find it terrible for our country that you have a party who, frankly, has sucked on every issue. And so they have to try to create a dialogue, create a narrative, so they can find a way to maintain power. That's really as cynical as it is, and it's, it sucks to see for the nation. But that's what the Democrat Party is. Are you confident the Republicans are holding the line on these things? And if so, uh, is the rhetoric mostly pro forma? Is it mostly about firing people up? Because it, it's paralleled a lot of what I was seeing over the weekend with some of Michelle Obama's language. Um, to get people motivated for 2022, uh, that, that if you don't vote for Democrats, we're going to lose our republic, which obviously is absurd, but it's a tactic that they think is going to work. Is it is it just a tactic, or they, do they still think H.R. 1 is maybe in the picture? I don't think H.R. 1 is in the picture, I, because to get it, you have to blow up the filibuster. And, you know, even as of two days ago, both Manchin and Cinema had no interest in blowing up the filibuster. So I, I don't think that's going to be the issue. I think it's definitely about trying to, you know, gin up their base because they're, they have no motivation on their side of the aisle whatsoever. And let's be clear, the Democrats, unfortunately, have been successful with certain voters on their side of the aisle when they trot out the same tired line year after year or election cycle after election cycle that Republicans want to take away your right to vote. They do it all the time. It has been successful in the past. And so that's why I think it's important for Republicans to be very clear, like, don't run away from these fights on voting rights. You got to tell the American people, the Texas law, the Georgia law, Florida's latest version of the election law. I voted on two different election reforms in Florida when I was in the legislature. Those laws make it easier for people to vote, but it makes it significantly harder for people to cheat. Uh, which we could all get behind that. And the fact that the Democrats are not is just all you need to know, uh, that it is purely about 
agenda and is not about whether or not it actually makes sense. I want to change gears back to the coronavirus for a moment. Um, uh, across the country from you in California, that they are now their hospitals are so short staffed due to firing people from vaccine mandate that they now actually have to let COVID positive employees keep working. Uh, and there's a lot of talk of hospitals getting overrun. Uh, they're not overrun because we're out of beds. We're running out of staff because people are uh, not allowed to work. Um, especially with the Omicron variant, which is less severe. There's a lot of vaccinated people, but it's very, very, very widespread. Uh, we're in the midst of, we're just tipping into a, I think, a crisis in terms of employment. People are not going to be able to work at this rate. Uh, How is Florida handling this? Do you have any thoughts on what's going on in the country in this regard, Congressman? Well, I think the decision by uh, Joe Biden that people in the medical profession who don't get vaccinated has to be have to be let go is completely absurd and it's stupid. It is a dumb decision. Doesn't make any sense. And in some of the hospitals, and we had a we had a handful in Florida that went down this line. I told their their chief executive, that's a dumb decision and you're gonna regret it. Because any industry, any company, any business that loses five to ten percent of their workforce is not going to be able to function appropriately. So what's right. gonna happen when you fire nurses for not being vaccinated? Especially when all through the United States we had a nurse a nursing shortage before COVID. So you think it's not going to have any impacts at all? I think the other thing for people to understand, which nobody talks about, is that right now the federal government is actually contracting nurses to be on the southern border in the facilities where they're holding migrant children who came across the border illegally. The federal government's been been actually they've been contracting these nurses so much so that if you talk to hospital <clears throat> administrators and CEOs, they will tell you it's hard to get nurses because nurses are basically taking the highest bid, which comes from the federal government. So the federal government is outbidding hospitals to send nurses to the southern border to deal with migrant children. Meanwhile, with the Omicron variant, we need nurses in our hospitals, but they're not there for one of two reasons. One, because the federal government under Joe Biden hired them someplace else. Or number two, under the federal government, Joe Biden put in a mandate requiring they be fired if they didn't get vaccinated. I mean, this is completely absurd policy, and people are having to deal with this on the front line so much so they're having to bring in the National Guard or keep people in the hospitals who are positive for COVID but keep them working because they're vaccinated. I mean, this is stupid. And one thing that you're noting is that all the things that we can't discuss because it goes against narrative, and this is becoming, I really think, is a literal public health crisis at this point that we're not allowed talk about certain topics because it's inconvenient to the people who control our media and uh, the current political class. Uh, but I guess that's a, more of an opinion than a question. Uh, let me ask you about this story with Sonia Sotomayor, the Supreme Court Justice, who, among many absurd things she said uh, last week, was that 100,000 children are in serious condition and many on ventilators for coronavirus. This is completely false. Uh, even, you know, PolitiFact rated this false, which they are n not really in the business of uh, fact-checking people like Sotomayor. Um, it, it is emblematic of what I think is a, 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 another pandemic we're going through, which is a pandemic of misinformation coming from the coronavirus hysterics. And I think it's really making people uh, less uh, healthy because I, people don't know where to get their information. They're losing trust. No, you're absolutely right. When I, when I saw PolitiFact tweet out... <clears throat> that uh, Sotomayor's thing was false. I had to tweet like, oh my, you know, first of all, I was like, where's she getting her misinformation from? How come yeah. Twitter doesn't shut down their accounts? You know, right. this, to me, you have a Supreme Court justice, who, by the way, if you listen to the oral arguments, 
all that all her and Breyer and Kagan were talking about were the merits of the policy because of the pandemic, not the constitutionality of the authority of OSHA or the executive. Because if you look at whether what he's doing is constitutional, yes or no, the clear answer is no. But what Sotomayor is trying to do is come up with any any logic stream, whether and based based on things that are just completely false, completely wrong. But she's trying to create her own logic stream in 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 a bizarro universe with respect to COVID nineteen in order to justify her supporting what Joe Biden is doing. This is why the people on the left who always argue against us saying that we want contextualists or originalists on the court and that we don't view America in, in a modern context. We're always looking back to what the Constitution says. This is why. Because if all you're doing is putting people on the court who are just looking for a reason to side with the left, then this is not about the Constitution anymore. It becomes about whatever the whim is of the mob or whatever the whim is of the current Democrat president or Democrat majority. And you can't govern a nation like that, and you cannot maintain separation of powers like that, and you cannot maintain a constitutional republic like that. And so with Sotomayor being just so flagrantly wrong, on purpose, mind you, I, I, I don't know I don't know the ladies, so I don't say it was on purpose, but it was definitely stupid, and her and her staff need to have a conversation and sit down. But for a Supreme Court Justice of the United States to be so wrong on something that is so important right now to the fabric of our country and with respect to separation of powers and the limit of the federal government, I find it to be very scary for our nation. I'm just so happy that President Trump was elected when he was to make sure we have people who are not out of the ilk of Sonia Sotomayor. Yeah, it's either she's so bobble that she thought this was real or she's lying. Uh, both are equally disturbing for different reasons. Uh, Congressman, uh, i got about a minute or so left. I just want to bounce a quick one off you. Uh, there's reports in Politico that the JCPA is going to be revived. Uh, this is this bill where which would allow the establishment media to collectively bargain with big tech companies to get more uh, money for themselves, which is uh, an effort that's it's bipartisan at this point that would, I think, um, I, it would be a way of, of, I think, putting some influence over big tech, but it does really favor the establishment media. Uh, some Republicans like like um, uh, Majority Leader McCarthy, or I'm sorry, Minority Leader McCarthy, Jim Jordan, Marco Rubio, Marsha Blackburn have uh, raised issues with it. Are you up on this one? Do you have a take on the JCPA? Uh, don't have a take on it. I haven't got into this one yet, um, but I plan on getting, in, getting more in tune with it this week. But, you know, I got to tell you, anything that gives the legacy media or big media a leg up on just grassroots journalism or, frankly, truthful journalism, I'm not for. I'm not going to be supportive of. I mean, half, most of the problems in our country is that you have the legacy media who are in the tank because of relationships and contacts as opposed yeah. to just reporting the truth and letting the chips fall where they may. Well, I know you're taking my word for it, Congressman, but I think that's exactly what you'll find in this piece of legislation, and I look forward to hearing what you think about it when you get a chance to take a look at it. Sure, not a problem. Thanks, Congressman. Congressman Byron Donald, it's always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I got American parts. That's all for today. Thanks so much to Haley and Greg, who produced the show and make it sound so crisp. Bob Marlowe helps me pick topics, and all of you who spread the good news about Breitbart and everything we do is a very big help, and we're very appreciative. We're back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. This is Breitbart News Daily. In my eyes.